Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fire Science Show, session 99. One more to go. Ah, just kidding. No worries, podcast is not going anywhere. I'm just really happy where we got so far. In the today's episode, another very well-requested topic, a uh, subject that always electrifies the audience, which is electric vehicles in fires. And today, in a very specific context, that is the context of road tunnels. I cannot tell you how many times I've been asked to what extent the tunnel safety is changed by the introduction of electric vehicles in our fleet. I always had some sort of an answer to that question, but today I might say that I finally have a a science-based, peer-reviewed and published answer to that question. And I have invited the researcher behind this answer, Professor Peter Sturm from Graz University in Austria, who for the last years has been really testing electrical vehicle fires in, in tunnel settings and investigating with his team the consequences, probabilities, risks related to, to such fires. And this is what's going to be discussed thoroughly today. You learn how the playing field changes with the introduction of electric vehicles, why it doesn't change that much in, in many factors, and, and why in some factors it is quite different. And more interestingly, we're going to talk not just about the fire emissions, the fire sizes, uh, or the threat that the fires are to the tunnel itself. We're also going to discuss the firefighting techniques and uh, the implications of their findings to the risk and, and risk analysis, and also how their findings may be extended to things like electrical buses or maybe even other new fuel uh, carriers that are introduced in the fleet. So I think a very interesting subject, very exciting episode. No more need to prolong this uh, introduction anymore. So let's spin the intro and jump into the episode. Welcome to the Fireside Show. My name is Wojciech Wingzinski, and I will be your host. This podcast is brought to you in collaboration with OFR Consultants, a multi-award-winning independent consultancy dedicated to addressing fire safety challenges. OFR is the UK's leading fire risk consultancy. Its globally established team has developed a reputation for preeminent fire engineering expertise with colleagues working across the world to help protect people, property, and planet. OFAR is involved in many spectacular projects, like the National Portrait Gallery in London. OFR has been involved in this major redevelopment of a landmark building since the earliest concepts in 2018, with the team currently assisting on with the construction stage of the project. The fire strategy needs to use the existing fabric of the building in a sympathetic and pragmatic manner. And as a part of this, working closely with Jamie Forbert Architects, OFR has assessed over 100 doors in the building to check the suitability as a part of the new fire strategy. If you are interested in working on projects just like that, you may want to reach out to OFR, which is growing in steam and it's very keen to hear from industry professionals. Get in touch at OFRconsultants.com. And now back to your episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fire Science Show. I'm today with Professor Peter Sturm from Graz University. Hello, Peter. Great to have you in the podcast. Hello. Nice that you did have the possibility to speak with you here in this podcast. Thank you. I've reached out to you in the subject of, of electric vehicles in road tunnels, but for a long time I've knew you and I've attended your conferences in Graz uh, with a very large focus to the fire ventilation, smoke control in tunnels, and I've 
received immense value from those. So when I saw that you're also leading research on lithium-ion batteries in tunnels, I, I knew it's going to be good. So let's dive deeper into your research. So from what I've read, in 2018, you have started an project, the research project concerning the effects of incidents with battery electric vehicles on, on tunnel safety, something that we are being asked every tunnel project. I wonder what was the background in 12, 2018 and, and what, what was the process leading to, to emergence of, of this interesting project? Yeah, the one thing is, is clear due to our change in the fleet distribution, which we have in Austria, but in Europe, due to the need of involving more electrical vehicles into the fleet, there we know we had always the rumors that with batteries you have a problem. And everyone who is having a cell phone knows, or at least for from a couple of years ago, that battery goes warm and sometimes it goes too warm, <laughs> starts to burn, and, and you had some it had some problems either during charging or whatever. And the car battery is more or less the same; it's just bigger. But you have mm. it's more or less the same. It's a lithium-ion technology, and there was a big concern that if you have such cars, then you might have an increased fire risk. This is one part. The second part is that everyone also knows uh, from battery tests, mainly from the tests of, of cells of batteries, that as soon as such a, a battery, or at the end it's an accumulator, but we call it battery, such a battery is burning, you have only to wait until it's fully burned. The extinguishing process is almost impossible, or you put the whole thing into water. So the problem is really if, it, if you have a big unit like a car battery, and this starts to burn, regardless which reason it is, why it starts to burn, why it starts to overheat, then a process like uh, which is called a thermal runaway starts. And this, that means that you have a self-heating, and as soon as you have the thermal runaway triggered, then the, the battery gets very hot, and after certain temperature, it starts to burn. And you cannot extinguish this fire from outside, or not mm. easily extinguish it, because the oxygen is in the battery. So it's, it burns. And this is the big concern to tunnel operators. What happens if something is in the tunnel? Something that is probably obvious for you, but, but why in a tunnel setting? Uh, because I see everyone talking about car park and let's say open air uh, problems and your research is very tunnel focused. What made you pursue it in, in this particular context? Let's start from the open air. If it's in the open air, of course, you have possibilities to escape. Yeah. You have good ventilation possibilities. You have a good dilution of the pollutants. So if a, such a car is burning in the open air, then it's, the risk is quite small. Uh, and when we speak about cars, we speak about passenger cars currently. Mm -hmm. Now let's look at the tunnel operators. The tunnel operators will have a lot of such cars in the tunnels, especially in urban areas. Mm -hmm. The tunnel is in confined space. So dilution is not so easy. And of course, the escape possibility is already restricted. If we go further down to much more confined spaces like parking garages, then this is a different story. And it showed also the research, and maybe we can speak about the, at the end a little bit about this, that at the end it turned out this is more critical compared to what, what is going on in a tunnel. But in a tunnel, mm -hmm. we have always, let's say, official bodies behind us giving the permission to use the tunnel. And in the tunnel, you have a lot of cars, thousands, ten thousands per day. So you have much more incidents compared to what is going on in a parking garage. And so the risk was assumed to be higher and of more interest 
for tunnel mm. operators. That's the reason why tunnel operators and here in Austria, the ministry wanted to have some research on this. And I assume because uh, Austria being an Alpine country, you have, uh, if I read correctly, 175 tunnel facilities. That's an immense network. And Asfinag data on probability of fires and incidents in tunnels is, is very high quality because you have so many tunnels, so many millions of kilometers of vehicles passing through them. I, I wonder, did you already have electric vehicle fire in tunnel in Austria that you would know about? No, fortunately not. We had no, uh, and, and not only in, in Austria, as we are dealing within a group, international group within Payak with this issue, we made a call all over the world. Please report us about incidents with, uh, with such vehicles in tunnels. And there is fortunately no incident of such vehicles in a tunnel. We had some incidents in Austria close to the portals, mm -hmm. mainly because cars crashed into the barriers okay. on the entrance of the portals. And due to the crash, a fire started. And there we had it, but fortunately not in, in the tunnel. And when you said, okay, with 200 tunnels, these are the tunnels on the, the highway network. Mm -hmm. They're very, really heavily, heavily trafficked. But I would have also even more concern. We have a lot of city tunnels, mm -hmm. which are not in the highway network, but they're heavily crowded. And in cities, we have a higher concentration of electrical cars currently. Of course, yep. <laughs> we have still to remember that the share of electrical cars, although they are very high in the sales of new ones, but on the road, They are still very, it's a share is still very small. That makes sense that in cities you would have the, more of those, but inevitably. They will come, definitely. I say it all the time. I'm dealing mainly with, with car parks, well, with tunnels as well, but a lot of with car parks. And uh, they always ask us, do we need to design the car parks for electric vehicles nowadays? And I'm usually responding like we do for 30 years. We just did not know that. It's not our choice uh, what type of energy carrier will be in the tunnel. Now, let, let's move into your research, the BRAFA project. Maybe you could describe generally what the project was about and what kind of research you've pursued in it. And then we would move into the details of the project. Okay. So as there are very few projects on this topic going on all over the world, we tried to, uh, to cover a huge amount of different things. And this was almost too much because first of all, we, we from, our, from the aerodynamics, thermodynamics of such subsurface uh, infrastructures, we wanted to see how the burning situation is. Road operators and especially fire brigades, which were also contributing to the project, they wanted to see what can they do if a car is burning. So we had two contradicting aspects. We want to have the fire, the other ones want to extinguish the fire. So what was looked at was we looked at the burning situation. We looked at how to extinguish those fires. And we looked also on the effects on the structure and on the, for example, on the water which is used for, for extinguishing the fire because you have pollutants, you have additional pollutants, they go into the water. Of course, in a tunnel, this water is collected. Mm -hmm. At the end, you have to look what is in the water. You have to get rid of it. So it's highly polluted then. So this was the concern. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say this was the scope of the project, which was very big. But on the other hand, it is very expensive to burn electrical cars. So the amount of cars were at least restricted. Of course, uh, that's a problem we all have in this uh, space. Uh, research on vehicles is, is prohibitively expensive if you want uh, the whole things. But if I understood correctly, you uh, you've started with burning like a single cells, then moved into burning modules and then into the whole vehicle in a tunnel setting. So w what was the progress like? 
In this podcast, we've already talked a lot about the behavior of batteries themselves and what makes them burn. But but I wonder, um, what was the profound difference when you moved from battery pack to, to a vehicle? Or have you observed no, no difference? Uh, there's no big difference on the burning behavior itself. The problem was a, a little different one. All the tests up to now, as you said, there's a lot of tests on the cells, on the battery size. They are made in something like sheltered rooms. Mm. Also that the car tests, which have been made up till now from, from France, from the French people, also in the same time, there were some Swedish people doing some car tests. They are made in what we call in fire holes. Mm. The fire hole is a confined space. You have a good ventilation inside, but you don't have the situation like in a road dump. Mm -hmm. uh, why we started again with battery fires and then to the car fire was a little bit different, had a, di a little different background. We needed to see how the layering of the smoke and the pollutants in the tunnel is, where to put our measurement equipment. Mm -hmm. Because now, instead of having one well-mixed air mixture where we can do the measurements, we have a cross-section. And in each location of the cross-section, you have a different temperature, a different air velocity, a different concentration. So if we want to make a measurement, a reliable measurement of some gases, we should know where the gas is. Mm -hmm. And that was the reason why we mainly started with the batteries, looking on the batteries, all uh -huh. the fire brigades. So the cell level was only to learn a little bit how to, how to ignite fires. And the battery was mainly then, the batteries, it was not one battery which we used. We used a full set of batteries like you have it in a car. So for example, the full floor plate of a car, but without the car surrounding the whole, the whole thing. And we ignited this and also the fire brigade looked a little bit, can they extinguish it? What can they do if such, such a thing burn? Just to learn. Mm -hmm. and at the end, and batteries were a little bit easier to get, the full vehicle, contrary to, we are used to fire tests. Mm -hmm. No problem making a fire test of a conventional car. You, gave, you go on the market, you buy a very old car, which is damaged or a new car from an accident. And you fill the tank and you burn it. That's no mm -hmm. problem. This costs maybe one or two thousand euros. But if you go to a battery electrical vehicle, you don't get a battery electrical vehicle from a crash. Mm -hmm. And even if you get it from a crash, it costs on the market something like 15, 20,000 euros. And if you have a new one, then it costs much more. Yes. <laughs> so we have to learn how to ignite them, where to measure best. And so we did it step by step. Actually, this is a type of science that, that not often is reported, but it kind of is very interesting. So how did you find the best way to ignite those batteries? There is a test which was very easy, where it, was, where it is very easy to ignite the cell. And this is what is called a, a, a nail penetration. Mm -hmm. You just destroy the battery by, by a crash. It mm -hmm. will be destroyed and then the separator between the electrodes is destroyed and then you get a short circuit and uh, you have a problem with uh, overheating. This works very good for single cells and also for small batteries. Uh, and it worked very good for electrical cars up to, I would say, 2010, 2015. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, the cars have a very good battery management system and a totally different cooling so we had to try to overheat the batteries. In former years, this was sim simply possible by overcharging the battery, like it was with a mobile phone. 
the most of the movement mm. from fire started because people were charging mm. and it, it was a def defect in charging. This was the, could be the same in a car. In the old cars, the overcharging resulted to an overheating, resulted to a fire. So all, all, all do you mean like 2010, 2015? Yes. Mm? So that the first generations of battery electric, mm. let's say up to 2010 in this region. Mm. But the new ones have a very good battery management system. Overcharging is almost impossible. So we had to use gas flames, so let's say engulfing fires to get the, the temperature. Mm. Engulfing fires are very good for batteries because you directly access the battery. Uh, in a car, if you have an engulfing fire, you have the battery sheltered. Yeah. So even with engulfing fires, then it takes almost 10 minutes, 15 minutes to get the battery wow. burning. So at the end, we found something different. We flooded the casing of the battery. We opened the casing of the battery and put some acid in it, liquid acid. And then the shortcut started immediately. Wow. Short circuit. But this is an extra thing. So the question is always... Which source of fire are you expecting? Mm -hmm. Do you have, we have two possibilities. Either the, the fire starts from the battery itself, mm -hmm. then this flooding the battery with acid or putting some acid into the battery is something like you can simulate this one. Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing is the fire could start like it is in most cases, uh, also for conventional cars, it starts from a fire in the compartment. Mm. The defect, electrical defect, a cable starts to burn or something in the interior of the car starts to burn. And then you get an engulfing fire. The fire comes from the car and goes to the battery. But uh, but still, if it's the second way, you would not have an engulfing fire. You would have more like upper exposure from up to down. Because like yes. to have a fire underneath the vehicle, you would have to like have a spilled fuel underneath it, which we expect to not have uh, with a battery electric vehicle, right? Yes, this this is more or less true, but you have to think you have a car and if it starts, for example, a start, yeah. you have it in the under the hood, the fire in front yeah. because we have an engine, then you have the wind, you have turbulence, you have the flames all okay. under mm. the floor plate. But as you correctly said, the protection situation from new cars now is so that these batteries are very well protected. And we found, especially with very new cars, that it After 10 minutes, the car was to totally burned out already and the battery did not start burning. So in this case, we made something artificial to get it burning because we want to see what happens if it burns. I, I will just comment that if fire scientists start to struggle igniting these things, <laughs> it's, it's a sign that things are going in the right way. Uh, the, and, and that's it. I, you've also mentioned one important thing that in a ventilation setting, this will look different. And uh, this also distinguishes your experiments in a tunnel from experiments under the hood, where you would have this type of free burn, natural buoyancy driven flow. Because you need to capture all the smoke to, to measure the uh, O2 concentrations to quantify the size of the fire. In your case, because of how experiment is designed, you want to have strong uh, longitudinal flow that controls the smoke in a way, but also changes the, the dynamic around the car. So have you observed the different outcomes than maybe from the literature? How did your tests look compared to that? Yeah, the big difference to that, uh, if you burn it in a controlled atmosphere and everything is under, in, let's say, in a room where you have a well mixture at the end where you make the measurements. For us, it was very important to see the layering. Like it is not mm. to have the smoke going up. The dynamics of a car fire is so big that even if you have a higher velocity of air which comes to the car, this does not change a lot 
the into the vicinity of the car. But as soon as you are a couple of meters behind the car, you have this wonderful layering, like you have it, you are used to have it in a car fire. You have smoke above, and you have a good, a, a breathable air below. This is the big difference to what, for example, all, all our other colleagues found. They found, let's say, hydrogen fluoride concentrations in a reasonable amount, but quite below critical values because they mixture the whole air. Mm. Ventilation rate, they mixture the whole air with the emitted pollutant. So average, average value. And they have definitely an average over the whole situation. And we have different layers. And we found, of course, that as soon as you are, if you would be a person with a height of, of 2.5 meters, then you might have problems because at these heights above surface level, concentrations are quite high, mm. above critical value. But in your height, let's say 1 meter 80 or 1 meter mm. 60, where you have your breathing situation, the concentrations were lower. So we found it is uh, layering. We found an extreme gradient in concentrations like you expected from a car fire, passenger uh, car fire. To give a context, uh, how big the facility is? Um, and maybe you can even describe that Centrum Amberg facility because I don't think it's widely known in, in Europe. And I find it super interesting that you have such an amazing place to burn uh, stuff in Austria. So how big, how tall was the tunnel? And then give me a story of Centrum Amberg, please. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, the test facility, as you said already, at Centrum am Berg, is a very, very old open pit mine uh, for iron ore, ore. And in one part of this pit mine, there is a region now dedicated for tests. And there in the mountain, we have tunnels. We have big tunnels, like you have it on the road. Two tunnels have the same profile like a road tunnel. Mm -hmm. Two other tunnels have the same profile like we have it now for our high-speed rail, rail tunnels. In. Mm -hmm. So you have extremely good test facilities for road and rail. Everything is interconnected with cross passages and everything like it is in a real road tunnel or in a real rail tunnel. Mm -hmm. And everything is interconnected. So in total, you have roughly three kilometers up to four kilometers subsurface tunnels where you can make tests. It's a huge test facility, not so well known <laughs> in Europe up to now, but strongly used already from fire brigades for training and from us for research. I absolutely love it. It's <laughs> it's a dream come true for any fire scientist to receive um, such a facility to, to be able um, to play with it. <laughs> and the good thing is the ventilation possibilities which we established there. One tunnel is like a longitudinal ventilated tunnel. The other one is like a, it's a transverse ventilated. So with water mist systems and all this stuff. So you can do research like you want as long as you have the, the money for it. That's the small <laughs> the <whole> problem. <laughs> uh, so we had this 65 square meters cross section, which have uh, well, 55, I have to say 55 to 60, depending where on which location you look at in this region. And our ventilation philosophy in Austria and in Switzerland is in case of a fire, you go with controlled ventilation. Mm -hmm. That means that the speed roughly between one and 1.5 meters per second. And it's now take, let's take 65 square meters by 1.5 Uh, meters per second, you end up with roughly 100 cubic meters per second dilution ratio. Mm. And this is totally different to what you find in fire test houses, because there you have a lowered ventilation rate, but you have a well-mixed situation where you make the measurements. We have a big ventilation rate, but we have this, the layerings. 
for example, we cannot use the oxygen method for mm. calculating the heat release rate because the concentrations from oxygen, the, the depletion of oxygen is too little. So we need other measures. So it's not so accurate like the oxygen uh, measure, but it's possible to make an estimation on the heat release rate. So it's a huge test facility. You are invited to come in and have a look at it. Oh, well, it sounds so so amazing, and it's so much closer than uh, the tunnel in Gijón in Spain. So that makes it yeah. <laughs> uh, much more more realistic because it's in the mountain, and not only the mm. inner line that the shell puts somewhere. Well, and I'm also every two years I'm at your conference in Graz, so that's thank you. Not not very far away. Uh, now coming back to the electric vehicles. Ah, oh, man, I'm I'm so envious of that uh, tunnel. <laughs> I would love, absolutely love such a such a facility. Now back to the batteries. So one of the things you've reported in your project that were very interesting to me and and quite in line with the literature was the differences you found in NMC nickel manganese cobalt batteries versus LFP. That's, that stands for lithium iron phosphate batteries in, in terms of their burn behaviors. And, and from drawings and, and plots, it seems quite giant difference. So maybe you can comment on this battery technologies and how that relates actually to real vehicle situation. Nowadays, so the NMC were a little bit earlier. The situation is that the higher the energy density is, uh, unfortunately, the more critical the substances is which you are having at the moment in the batteries. So the current technology which we are having, the NMC, is uh, 111333 or something like this one, is that's the current te- technology. When you burn it, you have the problem that you have mainly the fluorides in it, the hydrogen fluorides in it. The burning behavior is in a way that the thermal the triggering of the of the thermal runaway is quite early compared to older batteries and so that's the reason why we are having this problem as soon as you have the thermal runaway starts roughly at 110 centigrade mm. then it goes up a little bit and then it goes and then you cannot stop it anymore as soon as this thermal runaway starts then you have the problem that the batteries or the effects are producing the heat And with the heat, you produce the vapors, and the vapors, after a certain time, start to burn. Mm-hmm. But what we found, and this is maybe what you are look, we are looking at, uh, the older technologies where we were looking at, there we had, it's a little bit different, status of charge, so how much energy still in mm-hmm. the battery is, is very important. So if you have a battery which is fully loaded, then of course you have a lot of energy in it, and the heat which is released then... Uh, is very high, and mm-hmm. so the burning behavior is very strong compared to a battery which is already only has already thirty percent of loading. So uh, this is the major difference, and all other things. So if you have other battery battery technologies which do not have such a high energy density, they they are not so so aggressive in burning situations. And also the uh, lithium iron uh, phosphate batteries. You found that the fire development, it, it was like measurably slower to reach the, the full potential, right? Yes, but I have also said we have two things here, uh, which is not so clear because the battery technology was a different one and the SOC was a different one. So at the moment, we don't really know what is the, mm. the major effect. Was it only the, the status of charge? Which made this big change, or what it also was it also okay. the chemical composition? Okay. But from from other literature, it's known that half battery is is not so uh, prone to burn. And is this still the ongoing battery technology in electric vehicles, or it was no. already superseded? 
this is already superseded. It's already superseded. This is uh, the the speed of development in this field is is absolutely astounding. Yes, and it's also a question where you use it. If if the batteries are more used on the storage side, then they are, they don't need this high energy density. Mm. So then you still have these batteries, so they are not so critical. But if you are on the high end, like we have it now with 100 kilowatt hours or something in the battery capacity, like we call it, uh, then you have very aggressive batteries. I see. Now let, let's talk about the outcomes of the fires. So in, in front of me, I, I have your paper and I see some interesting um, things. So f first of all, the measurements that you've captured in terms of approximating the heat release rate that you've done through the calculating energy balance in your tunnel. It's again a confirmation that these fires are not immensely larger than you could expect from a passenger vehicle fire. So again, let's say up to 10 megawatt yeah, size. The 10 is already... Uh, As higher end. Yeah, this is higher end and we are not so sure if we really had the 10, you know. Yeah, it's approximation, of course, of course. What's interesting to me that in one of the tests that you report, you had the fire ongoing, the battery was not catching fire, and then you released the acid into the battery to... to create a short circuit yes. and then uh, you, you you approximated the scope of, of like four megawatts uh from from the battery this is very interesting because uh again it's it's something i, I could have expected because a module would be more as a megawatt you have multiple modules in the car c can you comment on on this uh, fire growth characteristic uh, what you've observed also in terms of consequences to the tunnel maybe at this at these heat release rates because people also have difficulty in placing you know megawatts in context of a celsius in a tunnel yes okay so first of all as you said especially this was the very last test which we made or one of the of the last tests which we made and we had the problem that the battery did not catch the fire from the car Okay. But as we wanted to, this lasted 10 minutes and so on, and the fire was already going down, and we were afraid that battery will not burn. So then we put this acid in the casing of the battery, and we put a lot of them into the whole thing. So we got a very strong increase because we got an immediate reaction of not one cell, of almost, I would say, half of the cells in the battery. So if we put it into a realistic scenario, it would be like yes. thermal runaway of the whole thing, like all the cells in the module. Okay. Yes. So not maybe not all, but the majority of majority, the okay. So this is really uh, on the very top end. Uh, what's good because we see that, okay, if we're on the top end, what happens? Mm -hmm. And even if we are on the top end and the whole battery is burning within seconds, starts to burn within seconds, then we found that we are still not very much above a conventional car. Mm -hmm. And now you ask the most important question uh, is, what does it mean for our tunnel? Mm -hmm. uh, bad passenger car fire ne had never a big effect on the tunnel safety, mm -hmm. structural safety of a tunnel. Because a tunnel is designed, look at, the, we have two things where we design a tunnel for. One is the structural situation. The structural situation is designed according a heat release curve, which is called RWS curve, for example, Reichswaterstand curve, or the unit temperature curve. So we have temperatures up to mm. 1,200 centigrade on the ceiling mm. for a very long time. And this would correspond to a fire in the range of, if you make a pool fire, then you would need almost a pool fire in the range of almost 200 megawatt heat mm. release rate. And uh, this is what the structure has to withstand. Of course, then if you have such a fire, you have damages in the, where you have spoiling the concrete and all this stuff. Th then you have the second thing, which is the safety systems, ventilation, for example. 
Ventilation is in most cases designed for heavy-duty fires. Heavy-duty fires are in the range of 50, 70 megawatt, rarely 100 megawatt. Mm -hmm. So, and now we are speaking about an electrical car. And the electrical car has, let's say, if it has 10 megawatt then for a very short time, then it's very high. Mm -hmm. Normally it has four to six megawatt. So we are far beyond any problem for our safety systems. And the peak temperatures you, you measure are like 100, maybe 150 degrees. It's like uh, yes. nothing from the perspective of a, of a tunnel, right? So on the ceiling, there's nothing. There's high temperatures, nothing. And in, this is the convective temperature. Of course, the radiation is higher, but you can shelter yourself from the radiation very easy by mm -hmm. just sheltering your face or just turning around and having your back like in a nice uh, open fire, then you have the same situation. The radiation could be strong or weak, dependent how you look at the fire. Yeah. The convective part is small. This is not the problem. The problem uh, is more the gases. We, we also, we've already discussed briefly the toxic products, the hydrofluorides and, and the stratification of that. One last thing I, I wondered about the products. You've also measured the um, heavy metals uh, released from that. Any interesting findings in that regard? Yeah, the heavy metals. So everything and heavy metals, which we found in on the particle side, uh, breathable region, they were not really of, of concern. Mm. Uh, the heavy metals were of concern in the in the water. In water. Of water. Because you collect the runoff water and then you have to get rid of it in, the, in your waste management procedure. And there we found that the heavy metals were much higher compared to our threshold levels. Mm. So this is just an after treatment then of this, of this, the runoff water. And of course, if you don't collect the water like in the open road, it could be, then it goes into the ground. But on the walls or in the breathable air, we did not find concentrations in lab of heavy metals in the in the level where it could be really critical. So an important part of your research was also the firefighting technologies. So if we could briefly touch that, you've compared um, just uh, soaking it with water, you've used large blankets and you've used uh, the cut lens system, uh, high pressure water to, to cut things. So... Uh, maybe you can comment on, on the effectiveness of these approaches and what, what, you, what your firefighters liked the most. As I told you before, we had always this uh, fight between us and the firefighters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They wanted to extinguish, but then we... we and you wanted it to burn as long as possible. The, the <laughs> ultimate struggle when you do fire research along with firefighters, yes, we know that very well. <laughs> so, But at the end, we, we find the compromise and said, come on, if, if you're cold to a fire, it takes at least 10 minutes before you come. <laughs> uh, and so we had the agreement, they will, will not interact before 10 minutes after start of the fire. Okay. So, uh, there are... <laughs> But currently, of course, water is, is used to extinguish all fires because it's the most efficient mean. Mm -hmm. But we know from experience that the water does not come to the battery. Mm -hmm. So you can put water, whatever you want, on the car. It will not cool enough that the battery fire will be stopped. Of course, there is, the, you may, may know, or you definitely know, uh, fire brigades have now huge containers where they can even dump the car, especially after they have extinguished it first time, that they dump the car. And uh, according to the information from, from Tesla or from other car manufacturers, e-car manufacturers, they say you need up to 10 cu cubic meters on water. Mm. So in a, normally you have four to six cubic meters in a fire brick in a car from the fire brigade bringing the water in. And the water, the, the pumping system, the hydrant system you have, of course, provides you also a lot of water. This would not be the problem, but the you don't bring the water to the battery. 
Mm. There's one method now commonly used already for standard car fires. They use such fire blankets. Mm -hmm. And the fire blankets, the sense of a fire blanket is you put it over the car mm -hmm. and the fire suffocates mm -hmm. because the oxygen is gone. Mm -hmm. you, there's no new ox oxygen coming to the whole thing. This works for standard cars without problems. This works for each battery car as long as the battery is not burning. Okay. But as soon as the battery is burning, you have the lithium ion is an oxide. You have a lot of oxygen in the battery. So the battery is self-producing its oxygen. Mm -hmm. So you can cover it whatever you want. This will not help you. And this was clear from the beginning on, but we had to demonstrate it because there are some nice videos on the internet showing that such a blanket helps even for a battery car. Mm -hmm. It helps for a battery car, but the battery must not burn. As soon as the battery burns, then it doesn't help you. Uh, had it any beneficial effects on like concentration outside the temperature profile? The of strategy? course, yes. Uh, okay. Concentration goes down. The heat release rate goes down, but uh, the blanket was destroyed after two or three minutes. Okay, okay. And so, it was not possible. Normally in the blanket, you should put it on the floor that uh, always the, the fire dynamic is so the, the big flames came out from one side. And the, oh, okay. I, was, I was really astonished by the people from the fire brigade. They didn't fear the fire at all. So they went mm -hmm. into the flames and put, tried to put the plan. Mm -hmm. So as soon as the battery burns, no, mm -hmm. no effect. Okay. And if you put it there after one or two minutes, it, the fire resistant blanket gets holes because it, it's not working. You can make whatever you do. Interesting. And, but there is another, a new method. It's not really new. Uh, I think Peugeot or Renault already started long time ago. With the first cars, they provided an, an opening into the battery casing where fire brigade should put water directly into the battery casing. Mm. But of course, if you have a fire of the vehicle, then you cannot go to this opening and look where the opening is. Mm. And now some companies produced a system like a lens where you can penetrate the casing of the battery. Whereas mm. you have to come to the car, you have to take this lens and penetrate the casing of mm -hmm. the battery which is the full floor plate of a passenger car. So we'll find any, you will find a place to, where to penetrate it. And then you can put water directly into, the, into, into this casing. And then instead of using 10 cubic meters, less than 100 liters, or let's say the volume of the battery, which is a couple of hundred liters maximum, is sufficient sufficient to cool it down. So, so for my listeners who may not be that familiar with uh, firefighting techniques, Catlans is is uh, is a tool that can even penetrate a, a twenty centimeter concrete wall. It's amazing. It's it's very high pressure water. The same principle that you use in water cutting machines to cut literally anything. There's YouTube series uh, with with people cutting items, and they have like billions of views. So, so if you want to get familiarized with the technology, go YouTube and and write water cutting. But the, in firefighting, the principle is you put this lance against an object, and it the water will eventually cut through the object and flow inside. That's very basic. And, and here you, you basically cut through the exterior of the vehicle to reach directly the battery. In your test, uh, the battery was already fully engulfed. Uh, have you done any tests in, in like non-complete exposed batteries? I was wondering because if you cut with this water, you inevitably will uh, create short circuits and, and may even grow the fire. But again, you will cool it immediately after you do that, right? This was one of the big concerns of the fire brigades having shortcuts. 
Okay. But the system, at least here in, in Austria, we have, or in, in Austria, Germany, we have two systems. One is really a lens which you throw into the whole thing. So you, so you really make it mechanically that you destroy the cover or the mm. compartment of the battery. But if you think from an electrical point of view, where can you have the shortcut? The shortcut comes from the battery. And then if you would throw a metal or even a water into the, the whole thing, then it has to go back to the fireman. But in between is in most cases the casing of the battery. Mm -hmm. So before the electric, so you, you get a shortcut in all cases between the battery and the casing of the battery, which is of metal. Mm -hmm. So there is no possibility to get it out of the casing. This okay. is like a Faraday cage. Mm -hmm. Like a Faraday cage. So it kept inside. So this is one thing we found with one manual activation. There's another possibility where they have made it now automated by hydraulic oil. They put it under the car. And so it's far away from the fire. Okay. You have only the, the pipe in between. No one touches the whole thing. But the fire, the people from the fire brigade were strongly concerned about this issue. But they, they were convinced. Uh, and it could be shown that the shortcut was not A short circuit, sorry. A short circuit was not an issue in this case. Fantastic. I, I love how these technologies develop. And that's too, I mean, th this one actually looks very promising. I must say, I see some development in blankets as well, uh, potentially as a help um, tool in addition. And there's a lot of technologies where you can uh, maybe flood the battery uh, in total, like move the current and flood it. But this cut lens seems uh, really the least effort and the least water you need uh, to really get rid of the battery fire problem. To move to the final parts of, of your report, there are two things that I would love to talk, risk assessment and larger vehicles. So for risk assessment, I guess we can cover it very quickly. I'll, I'll just, uh, I, I will just read a bullet point from your uh, paper because it really summarizes well and to the point. The results from these tests have also become a part of risk assessment studies for Austrian tunnels. The results showed that even strong increase in battery electric vehicles in tunnels will not require any significant change in the current Austrian tunnel safety standards. Yes. <laughs> so again, we were speaking about two things here. One is the cars. So mm. if you replace the cars by battery electric cars, a strong increase up to 20-30% in the fleet. The, pro the problem, the comment is quite simple. First of all, in Austrian tunnels and in most European tunnels, the risk is dominated by an, an incident not resulting in a fight. Mm -hmm. So more than 95% of the risk is, is driven by these mechanical incidents. And mm -hmm. only this is by historical data. We have this very huge database from ASFINAG, which is really good, but it's now a European requirement that you have, you collect this data. So it's all over Europe with the data, which is here. So most of the incidents resulting in mechanical damage, especially if you have fatalities, if you have dead people. So the second issue is now, uh, if you have now a, a vehicle with a, which after the incident starts and, and it starts to burn, then you have to look at the effects. And now we learned from these tests, a passenger car has a negative effect on the hydrogen fluoride, but the ventilation helps us to keep it down. Mm -hmm. This might be different with buses. So in this risk assessment, also the buses have been replaced by electrical buses. Of course, this depends if you go on the highways in Austria, the possibility of having electric coaches with electrical engines and, and batteries is quite small. This would be more for urban tunnels. In urban tunnels, you might have a higher share of electrical buses, but even there, 
the probability is so small that the change is neglectable. So it's not a question of the effect, it's a question of the probability, mm -hmm. the frequency, the probability. We have so little of them compared to the other cars and the number of incidents which have been reported with buses are so small that any change here is, I think it was a, a few percent which where the risk is a little bit higher. So this is not a big change. Mm. What we found from the simulations uh, from the buses is that in a bus, you have a different and you have also maybe maybe more problems with engulfing fires because the battery is not on the floor. Mm -hmm. It will be in the ceiling. Okay. It will be above the bus. So you have a very short distance to the tunnel walls, mm -hmm. especially if you have it cut and cover, a rectangular profile. Mm -hmm. And then the temperature is very high. So it will result in extreme spooling. Mm -hmm. So here we have the requirements from our uh, civil engineers, unified temperature curves. They will be met. Uh, so this, this is really the battery electrical vehicles, the buses. They will really be uh, strongly contributing to heat uh, problems in tunnels and to spooling if mm -hmm. something burns. And the concerns of the bus manufacturers is what happens if it burns there and you have the heat radiation down to the passengers if you cannot evacuate them early enough. So, but this is, this might change also a little bit the, the situation with battery electrical buses in city tunnels, not so strongly in highway tunnels where the share is so small. Of course, the effect could be high, but the probability is very low. This is always the question of mm. the risk. A risk assessment, you can have one effect which is, has a, has an all, almost a very awful uh, negative effect or one incident with negative effects. But if the probability is so low, the overall risk is still low. So, so let me summarize it in one sentence. Uh, passenger cars were never an issue and, and the electric vehicles are no, no different. And now uh, the interesting question, because you said you've drawn simulations on trucks. What happens when, if we get electric trucks in our uh, tunnels? This, does this change the thing? Yeah, it's again a question of the capacity. So I, I think it's more a question of the electric buses because the buses, buses okay. there is on, on, on top. It might change a little bit the, the situation concerning the gases. Okay. We expect that the amount of hydrogen fluoride is much higher. Mm -hmm. But again, we have to know the burning behavior of, this, of these batteries because if the battery of a bus is only much bigger compared to the battery of a passenger car. Mm -hmm. So now it's the question how the burning behavior is. If it's burning cell by cell, then it lasts only longer. Mm -hmm. And so then there's no big change uh, in concentrations because we have a constant volume flow, a constant emission rate, so mm -hmm. concentration is constant. But if we have a higher burning rate, and the higher release per second of hydrogen fluoride, and this is something which we don't need, know at the moment, then it could be crit more critical. Mm -hmm. Good thing again, it's on the ceiling. And it's again the good thing, for example, we, most of the Central European countries are, are using controlled velocity in case of a fire and not critical velocity. Because in a city tunnel where you have congestions, then with a critical velocity, you, you destroy each layering of the, of the smoke. Mm -hmm. While with controlled velocity, you might keep some layering. It's mm. not for, for sure, but the probability is higher that the, that the layering is still here. So as long as you can keep the gases on higher levels, then the risk is reduced for the tunnel users. So 
with goods vehicle, I guess again, it's it's more about what they're carrying on the on, on the trailer, Absolutely. not necessarily the vehicle itself. Very. Yeah. I don't think. Sorry, to interrupt. Well, but it's it's important discussion, you know, because uh, as a scientist, as a fire scientist, uh, we may intuitively think that it's the case, but again, the our governments, our authorities, they are just concerned with what they see on the television. And what they see is that uh, electric vehicles are going to kill us all. Uh, so, so, it- <laughs> so that's clear. But for the heavy duties, I think even with the current battery technology, where you, where you might you have a heavy duty, this is in cities for smaller cars, but not for the long haul cars with the heavy weights. So for a 40 ton long haul heavy duty, I don't think that this will be a battery electrical vehicle. Hmm. If electricity is coming, it's more an electrical road system or maybe oh, okay. it's more on the LNG side or something or on a, on a thin fuel side, hmm. but definitely not on an electrical side because with the current battery, battery technology, you would need an extra tender to carry the batteries. And most probably there will not be a buff they will be again on lower parts of the car because if you have it on the ceiling, you know the driving situation, the whole situation of the car, the stability of the car is less. So to finish this up, because I want this to be useful to engineers and on the same time, I may be not so comfortable if engineers cite podcast episodes as the source of uh, ultimate knowledge. Uh, I know you are producing some very interesting resources. Uh, was it in, in uh, World Journaling Association on, on, or PR or both? Uh, it's just reported in PIAC and uh, in other, like ITA and all this stuff. So it's reported there and it's used. There's a report now coming up from PIAC dealing with the new energy carriers, uh, impact of new energy carriers on road transport and then tunnel safety. Uh, but this is, of course, also dealing with LNG, CNG cars mm-hmm. or hydrogen cars. But the knowledge which we are currently having on, on, for example, hydrogen cars, fuel electric vehicles or something like this one, or LNG, is much smaller compared to what we have at the battery cars. At the really? Yeah, because they are, they are just coming. And this is more than a question of how we can make the tank safe. If, if, if you speak about hydrogen or, or mm. LNG or, or CNG, high pressure CNG, then it's a question of you have to avoid tank rupture, for example, because a tank rupture could mm. result in catastrophic events in the tunnel. All the other things like jet flames and this stuff, this is not via release of the gas, via the, the pressure relief valves. This is not critical. There are already mm. literature above this. This is not so critical, but the tank rapture should be, must be avoided anyway. Very, very interesting. So this is, is coming when you, you mentioned October and at yes. Prague, a grand premiere of this uh, report. <laughs> Fantastic. Should, should be available at the time. And it will, it will be available through PR, uh, the usual way as, as PR shows everything. Fantastic. If uh, people in the audience uh, do not know that, I will link it. I will link you to Pyark in my show notes of the episode because Pyark is a source of absolutely gold uh, resources in tunnel safety, the, me- the methods of calculation, the statistic, emissions, uh, road to tunnel accidents, uh, manual safety. It's a fantastic uh, source of, of resources if, if you're in this space and if you are in this space and you don't know that I, I would be actually quite surprised because it's difficult to design anything without PIARC data and as soon as this uh, report comes up you will be able to to cite it and and then comfortably design uh, tunneling spaces with with this knowledge Peter thank you very much for for coming and sharing all of this uh, insight with my audience it was great discussion M- maybe you have some like final uh, 
own findings. Was, was there anything that surprised you when doing this research for all these years? Like, what was like the thing that, that went completely different than you thought it would go? This is, this is a very good question. The thing which went totally different is, for example, what me really surprised is that, is that the safety of the batteries has increased in the last two, three years tremendously. Mm -hmm. So it's we were really naive when we thought we can uh, ignite a battery very simply by a nail penetration mm -hmm. and the whole thing will run. This is not really going on anymore. But this would be the most reasons of fires. You have you have a crash and then you have a damage of the battery and then it might be that after 10 minutes, 15 minutes, the battery starts to burn. So here the reduction is quite big, the reduction of, of such a possibility. And also was was a little bit... Or what would me strongly astonished was, I've, we have been working with fire brigades for a long time mm. in fire tests, but the quality of the persons and the ability to fight fires is extremely high. Mm. And it's not only the well-trained professional ones, we have, we are also working with, with volunteer fire brigades. And this is something which we also surprised me very strongly that the, the willingness to do something is, is very big and also the knowledge how to, to approach such a thing. The ability to run into fire is astounding. <laughs> yeah, it's really astonishing. Of course, the technique has improved. But there's one thing which uh, maybe you just touched this at the beginning, which I want to mention, mention is going back to concentrations. It's the dilution ratio which is important. And this is this brings me back to parking garages or something. Mm -hmm. like this one. If you don't have a sufficient dilution ratio, then you have to try to get the people immediately out of the garage because otherwise it's really critical. Mm. This is something uh, which has to be really taken into the mind. If you construct, let's say, loading stations in a garage, there should mm. be the most prominent place where you can get rid of the, of the smoke mm. and not of the most convenient for the users. So there, has to, there should be some rethinking, I would say. Yeah, the issue of placing them next to evacuation exits, especially if it's your one and single only evacuation exit. Uh, <laughs> and, and it's not even about hydrogen fluoride itself. If you get a jet fire that, that actually shoots directly to the evacuation door, yeah. it's, it's a lost case anyway. Very thankful for, for these words. And uh, car park design is something we also discuss here heavily and we will discuss in future because uh, playing field is changing very, very quickly with, with these new energy carriers. And uh, my last message, you know, to the manufacturers. So, dear car manufacturers, as you see, fire scientists start to see the effects of your hard work on, on improving safety of your systems. So if you would be kind enough to give us some newest vehicles to burn, uh, we would uh, very appreciate it and maybe show and report your improvements uh, at a higher pace, not when we have to buy them after 10 years of use. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you very much. And that's it. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Peter, for coming to Fire Science Show to tell about your recent fire experiments, including electric vehicles in tunnels. A conclusion that could have been expected. Passenger vehicles were never an important risk factor in road tunnels. I mean, we're designing the tunnels for much, much worse scenarios than a fire in a passenger vehicle. And in the end, the passenger vehicles are not that much different whether the source of the power in the car is electric or combustion engine. Now, interesting things between the lines is that, first of all, it, it starts to become increasingly difficult to ignite those electric vehicles. That's actually a good outcome. And if we struggle to ignite them, you may 
start thinking that they are really becoming much more fire safe than five or 10 years ago. That's, that's a brilliant development in this space and congratulations to the car and battery manufacturers on improving uh, their technologies so, so they can accommodate more failure and they're less prone to spread the fires. Another thing is that even if we introduce very big potent sources of fire, such as electric buses, with potentially quite severe consequences, the probability of events is very low, so the risk does not change that much. Interesting concept in the world of risk that you can have a very high damage event, but if its probability is very, very low, you don't bother with that that much. And it, this is why I really love working with risk. Otherwise, you end up trying to prevent any possible scenario, and at some point you just reach a wall where no more safety features can be featured and you still are unable to cope with this giant threat. So uh, I, I'm a huge fan and a huge advocate of risk-based fire engineering. And this thinking that Professor Sturm shown a very common to tunnel engineers is, is something very close to my heart. So that would be my two uh, most significant takeaways from this episode outside of the main conclusion. I hope you found your own uh, takeaways and I hope you've got a lot of value from this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. And as always, next week, another episode full of value is waiting for you. Episode 100. Wow, that, that's the number. I'm really happy we've reached this point and, and we will continue onwards after that every Wednesday. See you here at the Fire Science Show. Thank you. Bye. This was the Fire Science Show. Thank you for listening and see you soon.